Well, 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 what do we have here? Why, it seems to be a chat about the role of CMOs and marketing leaders. That must mean one thing, a new episode of CMO Combo. Alan Gleason is back with us, and we're actually taking a look at where your career can go beyond the CMO role. Alan has recently co-founded a new company called Contento, and we're going over what you need to keep in mind shifting from a CMO role to a CEO position. What skills do you need in place? How different is being a CEO from a CMO? And what advantages does a CEO with a marketing background bring to the table? Stay tuned, as you don't want to miss this if you're thinking about where to take your career next. Hi, Alan. Welcome back to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? I'm great. Great, Willis. And thanks so much for having me back. Always good to chat to you about all things marketing. Of course, of course. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting conversation today. Uh, one that's very near and dear to, I know, a lot of our audience, because um, we're talking about sort of looking beyond the CMO role, which is going to be very interesting. Because um, I know previously we've talked a lot about your backgrounds in the interim um, CMO as a fractional CMO, and as um, with lots of advice about SaaS B2B branding as well. Um, but we're looking at a different angle today because uh, things have changed since we last spoke. Do you want to maybe explain like how your circumstances have changed a little bit since we last had a, a conversation? Yeah, most definitely. So I guess um, I've been in B2B SaaS I think I might have said this in previous shows, since it was possible to be in B2B SaaS, right? I, I actually worked in FreeServe, which was um, how you got on the internet on a fixed 56K dial-up, right? So I've been, you know, been, been involved with SaaS since the start. And for the last kind of 10 or 15 years, I've been operating, as you said, Will, as a fractional CMO. Um, loved it, really enjoyed the kind of journey and sort of um, had a fantastic time. I guess, you, you know, I just had a you know, fantastic opportunity came up for me in terms of B2B SaaS. I guess I always had one eye on what was next, you know, you know kind of looking ahead and sort of having done a lot of marketing in SaaS, um, I can see obviously how attractive the model is, you know, if you get a good opportunity. So, yes, I've now gone into my own SaaS startup, um, which again is B2B SaaS, unsurprisingly, but as a CEO, so it's sort of the, one of the founders and the CEO, so a different hat than the one I've been traditionally used to. But I think you've got kind of a broader background than a lot of CMOs. Um, a lot of CMOs have a purely marketing background, but you've got an MBA, you've got background in finance as well. So you've probably got like this well-rounded package to be a CEO. Do you think that was kind of what gave you like the push to take the, the leap kind of thing? Yeah, it's a good point. I, had, I haven't kind of reflected on that too much. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my primary degree was in economics going right back. So I've kind of, um, and to your point, I have done masters and sort of that gives you a, a very broad base. So that certainly could have been something um, in terms of kind of feeling that it was right for a change. You wanted to test some new skills and um, feel that I've got a good shot with this new role. So um, yeah, I'm very happy with it. Let, let's talk about feeling right for the change because we often think of the CMO as being like the upper limit for, for marketers, but there is scope out there to make the jump into running your own business, into founding your own business. But what was like the big motivator for you? Was it anything to do with the current state of the CMO role or was it just like a good opportunity coming up? Yeah, look, I think I was fortunate. It was a really good opportunity. One thing is you tend to be well networked if you're in marketing, right? And even with COVID aside, like I'm a huge advocate in, in terms of being an active member of your community and helping and mentoring and, and sort of um, just what I would call the ecosystem being very involved in that. So the opportunity came out of the ecosystem from, you know, a CEO of another B2B SaaS company. Um, so part of it was, um, you know, reaction to kind of some good conversations. Um, 
I, I guess the other thing is is the model I had. I was kind of faced with a choice of do, do I start, you, you know, scaling it right and going down the consultancy route. And in fact, I, I talked to a fractional CMO today, and that was one of the things he's newly going into becoming a fractional CMO. And you know, he's looking to do a kind of quasi um, consultancy from the start, right? And by that I mean he will bring in teams of people to projects and just send one invoice, and and obviously then charge probably a premium for bringing the team together, whereas I was more on the freelance side. So, so the motivations for me were, were mixed. There was obviously the opportunity that presented itself, but also I guess I was feeling that um, I needed to do something slightly differently because just being a solo freelancer is quite demanding. And, you know, one thing in particular, will let's say holidays, right? It's sort of, <laughs> you, you know, you, you really don't get a whole lot of time to kind of switch off completely. And with young kids, it's, it, it can be a bit tricky. Don't get me wrong, I, I really enjoyed working as a freelance marketing lead. Um, and, and I think there's huge benefits to doing so, but for me, it was, it was time for a change. Um, and then I guess the only other thing to kind of address, another point that you raised, Will, is I guess the other opportunity probably is to go, you know, into kind of managing bigger teams, right? So that's the other thing. You, you could kind of go up a level whereby you're only working with companies of, let's say, 50 million ARR and above where there's going to be 15, 20 people in the marketing function. So I didn't jump that way, but that's another kind of route you could go after a while of, of leading smaller teams. I like that you've, um, you were talking about the, the high pressure nature of being a, a freelancer and you've gone into the, the much easier job, I'm doing air quotes here, the most e much easier job of being a, a startup CEO founder. Like that's, that's not a high pressure role at all, surely. I'm under no illusions, right? And these are all high-risk ventures, right? Um, you know, the, the, the stats on on kind of startups are, are pretty drastic in terms of the probability of success versus not succeeding. Um, I, I guess at the same time, it's very alluring and very attractive as, as an opportunity where you are testing new skills. Um, it'll be demanding in different ways. Um, you know, the, the kind of time scale to measure these things will be in years, not weeks or months. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm under no illusions. You know, SaaS is a very tough, demanding um, business model. And there's, you know, lots of peaks and troughs. There's absolutely no plain sailing in any of these sorts of roles. But, you know, still, they're, they're, they're always exciting and exhilarating and sort of appealing. And you got to have a risk appetite. And, and I do to kind of look for something that I can craft and shape as my own. I suppose as well, being a fractional CMO, it, it's given you a lot of opportunity to sort of dig into the, the the guts of lots of different SaaS companies. Like, do you think you've got a good idea of like what not to do, what to do, kind of thing, or are you, are you following your own playbook with this? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a great. You can definitely short circuit some things, and you can definitely um, you know take lessons with you. And look, relationships. I've mentioned that a few times. You, you know, is always important. So I have you know, uh, you know, people that I can call on to support the kind of startup phase and, and and sort of there's probably less of a need to be, you know, exploring stuff, you know, yourself. So, for example, if you get a term sheet and, um, you know, I've got a mate I can call that works in finance that can can have a quick chat with you on that without sending you a, an, an invoice after the call, right? Or, you know, if you need to have someone to to, to build a website or to do Google ads, you know, on, on, a, on a tight budget, you can kind of use your network. So, but in some ways, you know, there's, there's, um, so I'd be at the experienced end of the startup, you know, demographic for startup founders, but there's also a lot of value in, in being much younger with no kind of mortgage and no kids and no family and, and sort <laughs> of not knowing lots of stuff, right, where you're kind of 
you can kind of craft a different path. So um, yeah, we'll see, I think. Um, but definitely, I'm hoping that sort of my years working in SaaS will, will benefit me in some way, uh, Will. I'm sure it will. I'm sure I'm sure it will. Um, so having a marketing background as a founder, like, do you feel you're taking a slightly different approach as to normal B2B SaaS companies in terms of how you're building the brand, how you're building the business? Because historically, until very, very recently, I would say that the marketing function tends to be one of the last things that are thought about in startups. The CMO is often the, the last person to be hired um, for a full-time C-suite position. It's, so, it's really, it's a really great question. Well, it's a, it's a really great question. Um, so the area I'm working in is is called headless CMS or headless content management systems. So, you know, I, I think what you end up doing, uh, CEO is a jack or Jill of all trades, right? Having having to do an awful lot, but you know, I'm very kind of focused on the value that the marketing layer at this early stage can can really be advantageous. And you're right, most people postpone it, but you know, for the design of our, our application, you know, I have UI and UX people in in, in very early involved in, in the product build, right? I haven't outsourced to, to kind of a development house in, in Asia. I'm using trusted parties and, and people I I know to work with the CTO to deliver a, a phenomenally strong um, application from the get-go. Um, and similarly, you know, we've invested in brand and marketing and I already have white papers that are are being read and downloaded and, and blogs, which again would not be typically stuff that you'd see at this early stage of the kind of the venture. The flip side, of course, is maybe, you know, I shouldn't be doing as much marketing and I should be doing other things. And you know, that that's the kind of balance you'll always fight against, right? Whereby you may default to your your natural strength rather than you, you know, for example. I'm probably um, not as comfortable looking at um, shareholder agreements, right? And um, you know, doing 30-page financials for three-year projections on 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 kind of every line item in a, in a you know an income statement. So, yeah, I think there's a bit of a mix, right? But then I think you've got a lot of experience with sort of getting up to speed with things fairly quickly with your freelance uh, background and stuff like that. So I'm sure, yeah, you'll pick those things up pretty quickly. Like, you won't be too rusty with them for too long. Um, we're seeing a lot more brands sort of hiring market B2B brands sort of hiring marketing early or even having a CEO who's um, from a marketing background. Is, is this because of a change in how B2B brands are working, do you think, in terms of like how they're branding themselves, how they're presenting themselves to their audiences? I think there's a couple of things, right? So I think, you know, um, there's a lot of what I describe as intense competition in, in most SaaS markets. In fact, many are becoming quite saturated, right? Because of course, the barriers to entry, you know, are, are lower in some respects. It's a great time to be a SaaS business. You can, you know, we're fully remote as an example. So, you know, older model businesses may have needed to be renting premises and kitting premises out and having all the kind of fixed costs associated with that. Um, so what it means is that a lot of these categories are becoming very, very crowded. And then you need to be really clear on things like positioning and differentiating and messaging, right? And almost the kind of product marketing side of the spectrum, um, you know, and I think people are now increasingly understanding that features can be copied and therefore, you know, you've got to be really thinking about positioning and differentiation, you know, early on. And, and that is all kind of marketing led activity. Now, Again, one of the things I'm doing that goes back to one of your earlier questions is I'm constantly having phone calls with people um, as, as a form of primary market research because I have this network of 
people and, and our product is for B2B SaaS people, right? So it's for, for the world that I've come from. So again, um, I think there are some of the drivers, Will, that people are recognizing that, you know, the reality is, is you know, most of these um, segments are, are, are sort of um, categories are going to get saturated, you know, either, either now or very quickly. And therefore, you've got to have a strong brand proposition and marketing proposition. And then the kind of final point of that, Will, is, we're also time pressed and it's just constantly getting noisier and busier. So, you know, people are using heuristics quite quickly. You visit a website and if it looks like it's, you know, hasn't had any investment or love, you back out pretty quickly. So first impressions really do count when it comes to B2B SaaS. For sure, for sure. Like the amount of competition out there is insane in some verticals. Um, I mean, <laughs> CMSs, like there's so many different CMS systems out there. So that's got to be something you've got to be considering as well um in terms of how you're approaching that kind of competition are you looking at it from a marketer's perspective are you looking at like how their brands are working how they're positioning themselves or are you as you say looking at the features and thinking about how we can do that better kind of thing yeah so, so like we, we're sitting in you know the, the broad category is content and marketing systems so cms that would include everything from wordpress to webflow to wix to squarespace right and then there's a sort of a subcategory called headless CMS, which is a kind of a different approach to running your, your content management system. Now, there's probably 50 headless CMS companies on the market. Um, most of them are, are horizontal. And by that, I mean, they don't sort of, um, you know, differentiate into terms of any industry segments or any verticals. So, you you know, a bit like WordPress, right? You could be running WordPress for your own site. You could be running it for a B2B SaaS company, or you could be the local florist or restaurant could be running on WordPress. Whereas we're big in this notion of, of what's called vertical SaaS, right? Where I'm saying, actually, one of the things we're doing um, is we've decided that we're just going to do content management systems for B2B SaaS companies. So that's essentially our way of kind of dealing with the competition and saying, within headless CMS, you know, it's a huge growth category. category. A lot of it is B2C, and we're not just saying we're not doing B2C, but actually we're we're doing B2B, but not only B2B, we're just doing B2B SaaS because we believe that there are unique elements that B2B SaaS companies, you know, require. And therefore, that's how we're approaching, you know, crafting a viable and um, differentiated approach to the market. Now, it's kind of counterintuitive in some ways because most people stay as broad as they can at the start. Um, and the old days, you couldn't raise finance if you were considered, you know, um, going in after one vertical or one niche. Whereas I think now you you can. I think it's a very credible kind of approach. Now, there's not to say over time you could expand out, but by being hyper focused on one audience, I think you can then have a credible way, a credible route to differentiate yourself and stand out. And I suppose you've got plenty of experience in what is actually B two B content marketers need as well so you're you're uniquely positioned as well to sort of lead the company in this way i guess right and like you, you know and i'm not going to have a, a go out wordpress here but just just to use it as an example right so like you know the number of people i talk to that are really struggling with with you know a wordpress install and, and kind of when you start listening to the the language being used you, you know it's quite scary for some people right they're, they're worried about bringing the whole site down they're getting all these pop-ups when they log in there's um all these um sort of plugins that someone five or six years ago installed and nobody has an idea as to who installed them why they installed them if you remove them will it break they're finding that the interface isn't very 
um, usable for the new marketing people to update, they're finding that the site's pretty slow. So when you start looking at the problems people are describing, particularly around certain very common and very popular content management systems like WordPress, which I've just described, you know, one of the things is, is you know, we've really clarity on, on the problems people have in, in, in their world. And we're, you know, able to then tackle those and, and actually say, well, hold on a second. If we can create a content management system that is genuinely very easy to use, is beautifully designed, is really fast, right? You know, is not slow like many of these, is really fast and has things like search engine optimization baked in, all of a sudden you're creating a, a platform that marketing are actually happy to use and are, are very pleased to log in and update and change content rather than be fearful that they're going to break something and pull the site down. I'm sure it's music to the ears of many a content marketer, myself included there, Alan. Um, so obviously you've got a lot of experience of like, identifying what B2B SaaS marketers need, which makes you great for this company, but also... We talked about this a lot on the show. Um, I think we talked about it on previous episodes about marketing as a department has touch points across an entire business. They interact with pretty much every department within a business. Do you think that sort of gives you gives you the 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 awareness to be a CEO, to be a leader of a company who's aware of how all these different departments fit together, how they need to be aligned with each other in a way that CEOs or founders from different backgrounds might not have. They might be coming from like a purely business or a purely sales background if they're moving into that kind of position. Yeah, I think look, there's no doubt there's benefits, right? And and again, through my career, I you, you know you're right. You're, you're interacting with operations or sales and, and technology to kind of a lesser extent in some instances and, and more in others, depending on the context. I think the kind of the key criteria though are. Um, is a little bit more nuanced, right? So, so in some ways, what, what you kind of need really for, for a SaaS business is like you need a strong CTO or a strong technical lead, right, in, in the founding team. You know, I think that's kind of a, a really key linchpin. And we're fortunate that we have, you know, one of the co-founders is, is very technical and is a CTO. So then you, you have that branch has to be covered. I think it's very difficult if you're a non-technical founder, as I would have been, to, to kind of then go trying to, to source um, a technology lead and you're on the open market trying to you know, interview people and you don't really know what you're looking for and you don't know what they're saying and, and you, you know you don't really know. So I think that piece is key. And then alongside it, it's kind of back to this phrase of Jack or Jill of all trades. So, you know, because of course the role will, will change drastically um, and that's kind of the other piece, Will, that's kind of worked kind of, stating that part of it is less about your technical skills or your your abilities to navigate different functions it's more around you know traits like resilience and, and dealing with the tough times that you'll undoubtedly face it'll be things like recruitment and ensuring that you know you recruit good people and retain them it'll be things like leadership which are kind of almost softer skills and and so there's no doubt it, it's, it's a, a very demanding role um but i guess kind of to directly answer your question the the kind of it's probably less about the fact that you've worked with different functions, but it's probably because you've had to manage lots of different work streams and look at things like prioritization while also building relationships. So I think they're the kind of elements that are very transferable, you know, dealing with uncertainty, um, working across functions, um, you know, dealing with a lack of data, having to resource a team. So I think they're the bits that I think are, are ones that I'm hoping will will be ones that will be skills that will transfer across. 
Let's talk about some of the the differences between a CMO role and CEO role, because obviously the CMO is the head of the marketing function, but ultimately they they usually do report to the CEO. So you've still got that little bit of buffer between you and potential board or shareholders to kind of keep you separated from all of that um, that the CEO has to deal with. Is that something that you're finding interesting to be digging into? Like now that you're the the main sort of yeah, the main the main current for uh, shareholders or board members. I'm not sure how the contento's structured in that respect, but how are you finding that? Yeah, so again, you know, we're a very early stage company, so we're kind of pre-revenue and in in the product building mode. So we're kind of right out the the gate. We're you know recently founded, and therefore, you know, you're you're in a different space to kind of you've come out of companies that might be five, 10 million ARR. Some of them will be a bit less, but they'll have a headcount of 15, 20, you know, 30, 40, and, and on, on, onwards, obviously. So the kind of current phase is very much a you know early stage part of the journey where you know there's an awful lot to do and you don't have anything to worry about in terms of bureaucracies or kind of org charts or org structures. Instead, you're, you're you're trying to do different tasks, but you know the journey for these kind of businesses is that you know, and um, there's usually investment needed to come in at some point to scale and and sort of, you know, your skill set evolves over time. So if they follow the sort of journey that you're hoping, you know, you launch an application onto the market that is commercially successful, and then you're looking at resourcing and constantly making sure that you're. Um, offering the best solution to the market you possibly can. So the nature of the role changes hugely depending on kind of where you're at. So I guess I'm pretty early on the journey for now, but, you know, part of it is going back to the fact that, um, you know, I, I guess coming from a marketing background, you, you know, some of the qualities and some of the skills that you have kind of honed, you know, are very useful in terms of dealing with uncertainty, dealing with ambiguity, different stakeholder involvement um, and, and kind of demands in your time and prioritization. So lots of those elements can actually come to the fore. Are you having to think in a different manner about how you're planning? Like, are you, are you thinking more macro than micro in how the, in how you're planning things? Or are you, are you still on the stage where you're very, very much focused on the details as a, as a CEO? Yeah, look, it's a great question because you, you do have a mix, right? It'll depend on the context and sort of you could have um, you know, a prospective investor looking for um, a business plan, right? In which case you need to be macro and paint a vision, right? And of course, you also need to be uh, thinking about the future, right? Because you're going to, you're, you're dealing with an uncertainty, which is because you're a new business that you've got a no kind of historic data to rely on from your own company, right? Because it's new. So you're trying to project and kind of evaluate and run scenarios. The flip side is, you know, you, you wear different hats, right? So you can go from that world where you're looking at the future and the vision to the, the, the stark reality of us, you know, with very high standards that want a pixel perfect design. So kind of getting back to some of your earlier themes, we know the markets are saturated, right? We know that there is, um, uh, you know, lots of, of companies that are offering, you know, content management systems. You know, we're absolutely passionate about being almost pixel perfect so we're you know really focused on dotting the i's and crossing the t's and and laboring over page designs and laboring over you know use cases and 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 sort of really 
bringing in this strong UI and UX component that I think many others may not do, but but I'm kind of bringing it in with my co-founder because we really have elevated design um, to the top of our kind of um, prioritization list because we believe building the foundations of the company with design, you know, at the core, it's a bit like Apple and their design, right? That that is a basis for differentiation. It's very hard to kind of wrap that on afterwards. No, it's probably more expensive doing it the way we're doing it. But, you know, so, so I think, yeah, in, in a mix of answers really will, I guess, kind of, this is the point, you've got to wear different hats depending on the context. And I, I suppose going the design-led approach, that's a, that's a very marketer thing to do, I think. Like you, you know that this is a system that, content marketers are going to have to be using daily. There's got to be something that's attractive for them to use it. They've got to be enjoying using it, I suppose. Like, there are some B2B pieces of MarTech that have very, very ugly interfaces that are almost a nightmare to work with. And I think- You're, having you're a- absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that, that's a key point, right? And, and it's like, you know, myself and co-founder, my co-founders is two others. You know, one is predominantly the investor and one's the CTO lead. We've been working around B2B SaaS websites for years and sort of, you know, we believe like some of them are 10 and 15 year old, you know, tech stacks in terms of when they originally came on the market. And, and we think actually, well, hold on a second, you know, by being able to design in 2022, there's 15 years of lessons that we can take and, and, and sort of design and, you know, know that, you know, you can go to G2 and Captera and all these kind of review sites and you can see the areas people are having difficulty with. Um, and look, the, 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 the kind of marketing site might say, look, easy to use, as most of them will do. But we know the reality. And, and as I said, I'm talking to people on a daily basis and some of the language is, is quite inflammatory about, you know, some of the players where they're, where they're you know, scared of changing things or they find them chunk. Well, the, the phrases are all quite consistent, actually. Clunky is one that I get a lot. And slowing the site down is one I get a lot. Not intuitive, not 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 easy. Or we need to rely on third-party developers. Or we've got either a WordPress or Webflow developer on a retainer. So, like when I listen to sort of language like that, you, you know, it goes back to why we we don't want to be in that world. We want to because I, I believe that, you know, we're all increasingly time pressed, and you get one shot at um, winning someone over. And to your point, will. If someone from marketing can come in and enjoy the experience of actually working in our content management system, you know, they'll be an advocate for using us and they will be an advocate for word of mouth referrals and they'll be an advocate for retaining us. Whereas, you know, some of those older players, people are really trying to get off them and they're they're locked in. And that's another thing, right? We're not going to have any lock in with our solution. We don't believe in that, right? We want people to be happy using it. And if they want to leave, they want to leave. We make it very easy for them to move off the system. Where some people are, um, you know, are locked in, and in fact, you know, we're offering services as part of our kind of um, our new solution. So we do we do migrations for people. So we're saying actually, you know, you're stuck on whatever platform you want to get migrated off. So we we'll actually do the migration for you. We're not going to do it forever, but in our first year of business, we will migrate people off because we can see that people are locked into content management systems that are. Um, you know, not well designed and, you know, we're, we're probably, you know, our market leaders and have been around for 15 or 20 years. But now when you look at the, the lens that we look at a, a B2B SaaS company that wants to scale, well, you don't want to be, you know, on a slow site. You don't want one where the marketing team are afraid to change things. Um, 
And so it's a very different approach, right, which gives us confidence that we can craft a very viable um, you know, niche um, in a very busy market. As I said, it sounds like an approach that is born from a marketer first viewpoint, which I think you need kind of a marketer in a position of leadership, whether it's as a CEO or a CMO early hire in a business. I think it only gets those insights, I think, from a sort of like marketing perspective, um, because you're used to dealing with the customer feedback in that way. You're used to um, working with these systems as well, in a, um, working with teams that are working with these kinds of systems. Um, Absolutely, and, and, and like sorry, Will, and, and like linked to that, right? And again, this might be for those that are that are an early stage kind of um, in, in their journey, right? I think you know it's difficult to justify a full time head of marketing or CMO, right, in some of these early stage companies, and and therefore, you, you know, I think it's it's useful to bring in a fractional CMO or, or someone for an alternative perspective. Like I'm off a call this morning with with a company a few years old and you know, as, as a favor to just kind of critique their, their current setup. And actually what was interesting was the, the, the marketing girl on the call was in violent agreement with, with everything I said, but probably was too junior. I felt they couldn't push the CEO on it. So, you, you know, but that's your, that's the kind of point I'm making is that often it is worth bringing in. You, you may not be able to, you know, have someone on a retainer or full-time, but buying a day of, of a marketing lead or, or a UI UX person you know, is very valuable if it means that you, or even messaging, right? There are people on the market you can get in, in for a day to review all the messaging. And yeah, those tweaks can be enough to kind of make a big difference in terms of um, lead gen, right? Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great advice for any any CEOs or founders who are listening to this uh, this episode. Let, let's focus on on CMOs and CMOs who are thinking about making the, the jump into becoming, founding a business or they've been approached about, or look at or the, or they've been approached about taking on a CEO role. What key piece of, of advice do you have for people in those positions? Like in terms of uh, let's start with maybe practicality practicalities, then we can maybe move on to sort of like the emotional mindset that you need to to make that jump. Like what, what are the practicalities you think when it comes to moving from a CMO into a CEO role? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you're going from a comfort zone, right? So you're going from an area of you can do probably things with your eyes closed and and then you're familiar with the playbook to kind of to, to new uncharted territory, right? Um, and look, it's it's no different from like ultimately it's it's a leadership role, right? So so you've got to be clear that, you know, there's a simple way off and look at these things, Will. And often it's, you know, where do the questions get pushed to, right? And invariably you know, questions or answers or problems or issues, they just get pushed up to the, the top person often, right? And so, so actually, in some ways, you've got to be comfortable with, you know, issues are now going to be pushed up to you as the CEO. So you've got to be comfortable with, you know, dealing with ambiguity and the fact that people are going to be coming to you um, with, with actually lots of different issues, right? And you won't feel as equipped to deal with them because perhaps when it was marketing-related issues, you, you'd seen the, the kind of question or issue before, Whereas now you, you could be asked random things about, you know, the cap table or, um, you know, liquidation preferences that are be, being requested from an investor, right? And, and so so there's a lot going on. Um, I, I guess you've got to be also comfortable that, you know, it's a risk, right? And a risk means, you know, not in a negative sense, but but often it's a high you know, high return if it works out, but there's also downside, right? If it doesn't. So you probably won't want to make the leap if, you know, go back to practicalities, Will, if you've got a 
big mortgage and lots of monthly commitments and you're the only um, breadwinner in the house, that's a very different risk profile that you might want to decide, well, hold on a minute, going into what looks like a big, you know, downturn in, in, in the economy. And, you know, maybe what I call your profit and loss, you, you might you might decide, look, that risk is not worth taking, right? So so there's some of the things to think about. Um, but I think it's like everything. You, it will also depend on where you are in, in your journey too in terms of your career, right? So again, if you're new to fractional CMO world, you know, um, there's, there's time in it, right? You know, you, you'll definitely get mileage. I think there'll be more demand for, for fractional marketing, particularly with uncertainty in the economy. I think it's more attractive as a model. So you might determine, actually, I'll stick with that for a bit longer. I guess it's probably for those that have been on it for a number of years and feel that actually, you know, like me, there's an opportunity in front of them. And, you know, it's it's an opportunity to kind of own a business that you've got a shareholding in and therefore you're, it's an integral part of your, your world and you're joined at the hip. And there are, with B2B SaaS, there are attractive outcomes if these things go very well. Admittedly, there, there's low probability of success, but if they do go well, you know, that they're very attractive sort of um, business models. So I think there's some of the things to be thinking about. And clearly you've got to talk it through with people, right? You've got to be comfortable that partners are comfortable with the, with the move, um, and sorry, just for kind of clarity, well, I'm kind of talking specifically about going into CEOs of startups, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because I think, you know, you're unlikely to go into a CEO of an established company because, you know, they probably, you know, um, look to promote someone from within. It's when you're doing startup world, um, you know, and it's not as if there's a, there's, there's a whole host of, you know, first time CEOs that are circling between companies because it's quite binary. You know, if it succeeds, you kind of stay on, on, on the journey. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't succeed, you you know, you probably have a harder kind of story to sell and um, and then you're probably, you know, in a different position. Let's circle back to what you're talking about with the the questions rising up to the top and you being the final line of the questions. I suppose that's a very, very daunting situation to be in. Like how honest can you be as a CEO to say, I don't know, I'll go find that out? Because you often we often think of the CEO as being like the ultimate arbitrator of what is true within a company. So yeah, how honest can you be as a CEO? Like that must take a lot of bravery to be able to stand up and say, like, listen, I don't know this right now, but I can find that out when you are the, the ultimate leader of the company. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's like all questions. If if it's a question you should know the answer to, then it's a slightly different context, right? And similarly, you know, it's different if you're having an internal conversation versus if you're asked by a prospective investor about something yeah. where, you know, again, but for me, you know, I'm completely comfortable that if I if I don't know something, I'll take an oath of it and get back to someone. But also I know will when when I'm not the person to answer the question. So for example, going back to some of my, my earlier points, um, you know, if you're looking at sort of legal structures or shareholders agreements or cap tables or term sheets. You know, I think it would be naive to be kind of not getting outside counsel on, on sort of those things. I think it's, you know, you know, you're, you're, you you pay for advice on the things you need to pay for advice on. And similarly, you you got to be able to let people, you know, act autonomously. So, for example, I may have views on design and the design direction, but if the CTO asks me for input, I may pass on it and say, actually, look, we've got a UI UX expert who's probably better placed to answer that. So, so then you've got to be comfortable about the question and being very comfortable that it's it's, you know, 
it's it's not a case of being exposed or or anything like that. It's around what's the best decision. And if you can make the decision, you make it. And if you need further information or you need to defer to someone that's better placed to, to answer, you've got to be comfortable doing that. And I guess that probably comes with a bit of maturity, you, you know, as well, right? I, I think, you know, I'm perfectly comfortable being in a room with people that are better at me than lots of different things, right? And and sort of, you know, and, and deferring to people and, but also recognizing some decisions are reversible and some are irreversible and some are, you know, fast decisions that are you know, largely inconsequential and some of them are, are bigger, right? And, you know, they kind of, you'll get some wrong, right? Because actually, ultimately, one of the benefits you have is that you want to move fast, right? So decision-making, you know, in uncertainty, it's it can't be a labored process. Like part of the attraction startups is that you can move fast and you can make quick decisions and you kind of got a bias towards speed rather than having to be, um, you, you know, really slow and deliberate and everything. So I guess there are some of the things that will, I think, come up, come up when I think about that. It all sounds like a major challenge, Alan, but a challenge that I think, will pay off for a CMO in the long run, the right CMO for a CEO in the long run. So are we going to see more CMOs stepping into leadership roles in this way? Is that what we're thinking now? Like we've talked about like the advantage of like branding and differentiation through branding and stuff. So are we going to see more CMOs in leadership roles in, in startups? Yeah, I, I think it kind of goes back to a question you, 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 you asked earlier, right? And it kind of related to kind of my broader background, right? And, and I guess... Like what's historically been the case with companies I've been familiar with is that the CEO has often been um, from a kind of a finance, you know, it's more typical for the CFO to be, you know, be kind of promoted than the CMO historically, right? Um, and it's probably because the finance person is closer to the data, is closer to the numbers. And as you kind of mature and grow, you know, some of the key things are financial, right? You don't want to run out of cash being, being an obvious one, but things around securing investments, you know, looking at cash burn. So I do think, you know, as companies grow, they will be, continue to be, the CFO will be one of those that will often be the natural successor to a CEO um, for the kind of scale-ups, right? But if you go back down a level to kind of the world that I'm currently in, which is at the start of end of the spectrum, uh, I, I do think that there's a bigger opportunity for, for CMOs to kind of and um, use that as a viable option. But but often the point is you're you're a founder, right? You, you're gonna have, like it's not like you're hired into the role, you're one of the founders, but it's back to this notion of doing it in a team, right? Because I think you know, a solo founder as a CMO for B2B SaaS, I think is just too risky because it goes back to you need a co-founder that's a tech lead or a product lead because it's complicated and, and you know you can't easily um, navigate software and coding and, and sort of be expected to, you know, go and source someone on the open market. You might, you mightn't even know which codes to, to kind of source somebody in or, or kind of what are the skills or qualities that you need. So I think, I think I'd look at it through that lens whereby yes, will there'll be more CMOs going in as, as startup founders, but they need to do it with a tech co-founder to give themselves, a, you know, a shouting chance of um, success. I think I used this phrase in our very first episode we recorded going back over a year now. And that was, it takes a village to be a fractional CMO. And I suppose it takes a village to be a CEO with a marketing background as well, and, um, which I think is going to be very exciting. I think I'm, I'm a big fan of this sort of shift to brand first B2B. It's something that it's been 
a long time coming, I think, and it's going to lead to a lot of very exciting times for brands and stuff. And then I'm looking forward to seeing how Contento develops, of course, as well, seeing how all these different brands develop. Um, thank you very much for joining us today, Alan. It's been a really interesting conversation. And I'm sure it's one that's going to be very interesting to our audience, as, as, all, as all your episodes have been, of course. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversations. So thank you very much for joining us today, Alan. Thanks for listening. Always great to be um, be on. And look again, I think we can put it in the show notes afterwards if anybody wants to reach out. And I'm always happy, or, or ping me on the Slack group and CMO Alliance as well if if anybody wants to to kind of talk further on any of the topics we touched on today. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Alan, and thank you very much to our audience as well. We'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was. <laughs>